Cannabis Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast for an hour every Monday covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market-related information. You can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. And now, your hosts, Jamie Cass and Pod Green. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome. Another show. Another another uh, segment of the Cannabis Agenda coming to you guys. I'm Pot Green and Jay Caz. Yeah, that's Jay Caz and Matt Matt uh, Coglin is our engineer. How's it going, and uh, you two are in uh, Illinois today. How's it going in Illinois? Hot and humid. Hot and humid. Are, yeah, already. Is it way up there? Summertime weather already? Or are you still a little bit in the spring? Still it got is. Spring? You know, it was kind of bizarre because it was really cool. I thought unseasonably cool, and then out of the blue, man, almost like the cannabis uh, policies in Colorado, it just went whoom and blew up, and it went to ninety three. So oh shit, really? It's ninety three already. Mister anti uh, air conditioning, and I got the air air kicking because you know we need to breathe. Yeah, and you got. You- Got computers running and everything. Do you? How much? How much? Uh, how anti air conditioning are you? Do you try? What What do you do? You turn it off at night, or do you? Uh... Um, if I if it, if I absolutely can't sleep and I'm all sweaty and just miserable, then that's ridiculous to me, and I'll turn it on. Um, yeah. If I can sleep fine, you know, I'm not one of the people that just like my neighbors. A lot of them they just turn it on once it gets once it gets to a season like it's spring. Welcome to spring. Okay, click. Turn it up. Yeah. It's on. You know, I don't, I'm not one of those people. And, you know, if I can ever get by, you know, even with a mild or moderate discomfort, then I, I usually go that route, you know, and try not to use the AC, but, you know, teach their own. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Feels How about you? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, you know, out here, dude, we don't have to deal with, in Northern California, we don't have to deal with air conditioning at all, really. I mean, except for inside of, people's grows or <laughs> or production facilities or whatever we it's it's pretty mellow weather out here a lot of people love it it drives me crazy uh yesterday was one of the most beautiful days we've had in a long time and it was probably 57 and the wind but it was a little windy so every once in a while you get a burst of wind that made it feel 45 so you look outside and you're like oh it's gorgeous shorts and sandals and then you go outside and your balls shrivel up real quick because it's cold (laughs) you know (laughs) it just just happens like that man it's really weird too today i woke up thinking oh another beautiful day and then like right as we were starting to prepare for the show it started raining outside now i think it's going back to fairly nice but you know, dude, we don't, we're 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 uh, I could deal with a little humidity and heat, man. We only get we probably get seventy degrees here on the coast and um, northern far NorCal. Like, what would you guess, Matt? Five times a year, maybe. A couple times mm-hmm. a year, yeah. I mean, it, rare, rare, rare occasions we might have an eighty degree day. And I remember one 90-degree day in my nine years here. Once. It snowed more on the coast, dude. Check it. It has snowed four times since I've lived here. It has touched 90 degrees once, and I believe I only remember it touching 80 degrees two, maybe three times, but it snowed four times. And that includes twice when it stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On the beach. On the beach, man. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I've been dealing with, as you guys know, I have a um, 19-month-old son, Rhythm, and he is, uh, you know, for the longest we thought we were like, oh, we're so lucky, dude, our kid never gets sick, man. But lately, holy crap, he 
doesn't get super sick. Like he'll catch it and then he'll get a fever for like less than 24 hours yeah. and his energy rarely gets shot or anything, but they young kids really do catch like almost anything that's around. Like he had a mild case of chicken pox last week and today just in the middle of the night, last night he had a fever and it seems like he's coming down with a cold and you can hear a little raspiness in his voice. And a couple of weeks ago he had a virus and then we tried to, we thought maybe it was strip throat. So they tried to give him some antibiotics, which he was allergic to. And then he broke out in a rash. It's just like constant. I mean, luckily for, I mean, for in his case, like his energy and his personality keep on shining through and it doesn't really bother him all that much. And he just goes from like one thing kind of the ne- to the next, you know, mm-hmm. but and I always thought it was, you know, like snot, snot nosed kids was like a, like kind of a overshot, sort of an over exaggeration, but, uh, it's not really, it's, it's true. Right. <laughs> Try it out someday. Hey, so part of the time I consider myself a snot-nosed adult, actually. So right, yeah, during the season, you know, especially. Are you? Do you have allergies? Are you? You? You big yes. allergy dude? Actually, no. I don't have any allergies. I'm allergic to my ex-wife. Um, I'm allergic <laughs> to uh, extremities in temperature, and that's about the gist of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Anything um, with tentacles on it. I don't think include, I'm including your ex-wife. Yeah, including my ex. Yeah, well, I I found out that uh, my partner is kind of allergic to alcohol. We went and saw uh, Nas and Damian Marley, whose new album, uh, Distant Relatives, um, it's a new album based on a lot of uh, African history um, and obviously street intellect of Nas and Damian Marley. uh, dropped like uh, beginning of last week. We went and saw their opening show here in Arcata. Um, and yep, a lot of pot smoking going on, but, um, unfortunately just like any public event, there was even more boozing going on. And, uh, we partook, we got pretty drunk. Actually, I drank more that night than I've probably drank in the last couple of years combined altogether, which wasn't great. I did end up puking in the middle of the night. I did end up with a hangover. I was my normal self times a hundred more friendly than ever and probably more stupid. And yes, I almost did get in a fight with someone, not because I was trying to start it, but because dude was just trying to start a fight, you know, and, uh, just add alcohol. Yeah. Just out of booze, dude. And luckily for me, like, I just kind of took the, like, well, I'm just going to stand here and not act like you're pissing me off and keep talking to you and not pretend like I'm scared. And, you know, like, and it worked. I got out of it because he kind of probably was like, ah, this dude might not be scared of me, (laughs) you know? So maybe this isn't a good, maybe he's like a black belt or some shit, ninja karate. But luckily I escaped that without any like broken orbital bones in my eye or anything, you know, needless trips to the hospital. But man, alcohol is poison, dude. Um, my girlfriend, I swear if she drinks like more than a couple drinks, it like makes her sick for like t- almost 24 hours afterwards yeah. to some degree. Yeah. No, just, I, I've noticed weird. a few people. I've met actually several people in my life that I've met that are the kind of instant asshole, they call it. And it's it's literally that way. Just the greatest guys, man. They'll give you the shirt off their back literally. If they have to be somewhere or they've been working really hard and they finally got to where they can take a break and they're really hungry and they sit down and they order this great meal and they find out you have a flat tire, they'll go out and help you fix the tire and, and ruin their whole lunch because it's more important to them to do the right thing. They're just good guys. And you give them a little bit of booze and it's like a switch. It literally is like somebody flicked a switch and it goes, dink, asshole mode. 
Yeah, totally. Starting fights with people and being all like violent and negative, and it's like, whoa! How? And it's a lot of people. When you drink, it's basically your excuse to take your um, passive aggressiveness and turn it into just pure on aggression. Like all the shit that you haven't said that you wanted to say, all fucking comes out in like four hours of drinking. You know. You know, and I got to tell everybody, you know, none of us here at Cannabis Agenda are are by any means uh, doctors or absolute professional know-it-alls in any way at all. But but I think all of us could attest 100% to the fact that none of us have ever in our life even heard of a person that has had such a change uh, uh, of this type um, from cannabis alone. No. Never. No, dude. There, dude, there are people in my life that I've known um, that drink too blackout, and some of them it takes a lot of alcohol. So there is, you know, they do get three, four hours of memories before the blackout page. But then some people I know, I swear it's like three drinks and they're blacked out. Mm-hmm. And it's like for me, it, I, I don't get there. I've only blacked out once in my life. I, I can consume a lot of alcohol and remember everything that happened. But dude, I've never seen someone smoke so much pot that they like forget an entire night yeah they might forget your name or a phone number or a task that they're supposed to do or they may forget to like you know put the cereal in the sink or something but uh it's just not the same it's way different the 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 social consequences of drinking alcohol are heavy i mean you you in you add booze to a public event and crime the other night here's one thing okay we wanted a cab because we were way too drunk to drive, we call the cabs. The cabs say, "Good for you." The cabs say it's going to be an hour and a half, or you can just uh, stand outside of the um, community center, which is where we were, and uh, you can fight for one. And I'm like, "What? You know how many drunk people there are here? That's not a good policy." So <laughs> all you're doing, all you're doing right now, is sending cabs to a crowded space with a bunch of drunks and telling people to like compete over the cabs. I, we walked away from that. I wonder how bloody that got, but it yeah. probably probably resulted in at least one hospitalization and, and one uh, arrest, I would guess, um, just because of this, the cab issue. You know, um, People really don't know how to, to, to deal with alcohol. Man, I'll tell you what, and the thing that really sucks the worst about alcohol is the hangover. The next day, no matter what, if you go out and have fun, it's at the expense of not having fun the next day, not being able to do things the next day, which is really tough because you can't compartmentalize alcohol. So right. it's hard to wake up and be like, oh, I have a hangover, but oh. I'm going to like compartmentalize that and get all this stuff done today, you know, like you get in a, you get in a fight with your girl or your mom, or you have the IRS, you know, you have Herman, whatever, call you from the IRS and, and, uh, Herman Jackoff from the IRS call you, you know, you can compartmentalize that and then move on and do the cannabis agenda and then go do your, your, your errands for the day and then get your business done. You know what I mean? Or at least a lot of successful people are able to compartmentalize things, but man, compartmentalizing a hangover is impossible yeah (laughs) it's impossible dude doesn't happen i used to partake a little bit in the day i haven't for quite a while probably over a decade now but man i tell you what the the hangover is like one minute ago is that's how well i remember the hangover scene it's so i don't think i could survive i don't think i could live through one of those at this point Yeah, you don't drink at all anymore not even a single drink ever i don't man i'm hopped up on the mate 
Yeah, yep. that's your trip. Yeah, that makes you feel social and, and yeah. good. So I yeah. think a lot of cannabis users probably, if you haven't heard of Yerba Mate, definitely get online, do some research, and check it out. Cruz de Malta is the kind that I, I like. So there's my shameless free promotion for Cruz de Malta Mate. But, uh, yeah, try that. It's fantastic stuff. Speaking of shameless free promotion, I think today it's a good idea for us to shamelessly self-promote ourselves. Who are you, Jamie? What are you all about, dude? Let's, let's know a little bit about yourself, man. People probably listening would love to know who we are and why they should even care. Why, what, what's up with you, Jamie? Who are you? Oh, well, I'm the ruler of a small country in Tunisia. <laughs> uh, no, I'm actually, uh, I'm Jamie Cass. Uh, I'm a single guy at this point. Um, I have... One child who does not live with me, unfortunately, um, pursuing a, a degree. Uh, they call me a non-traditional student because I'm not 18. Actually, far from it. Um, I, uh, I worked uh, in laborious type of activities. Um, worked my tail off, actually, for a lot of years. I got hurt uh, repetitively. My back got hurt really bad. Um, the third time... Um, was really severe, and then I heard it again and had a failed back surgery, and it left me with some serious chronic pain. It's funny that the, the big fix is what left me with the worst part of the problem. But, uh, yeah, so I was kind of stuck, and there I was, uh, depending on you know physical labor to get by, and now I couldn't do any of that. So it was pretty scary for a minute, and uh, I went to the Department of Rehabilitation to look at my options of what I, how I could retrain or what I could do, and they went through this big list, and they found one of them was – college degree and I, I said wait stop go back so what was that and he said so i said no before that he goes college go to college i go yeah what is that he goes you go to college and i go what do you mean what college so i thought they'd have you know it's a it's a government thing i thought they'd have specifics and it wouldn't be all it's cracked up to be and they said any college and i was like what do i have to take and they go whatever you want to and i was like we're done man i'm going to school and uh, nice. that was yeah. it i knew i was going back to it was a little bit daunting i gotta tell you if you're out of school for at least a decade or more and you go back in actually out of any school and you know the last known school was a high school and then you go into a university setting like that kind of cold it's uh you need to have your wits about you it'll definitely wake you up you know but i've been having a good run you know i'm going for uh my degree in communication and a minor in uh, political science and i'm hoping that uh i can go on and uh work professionally in in policy reform uh in the policy reform reform arena so i'm looking to uh maybe do this for a living and, and eat every day that's my ultimate goal you don't even eat it you can't eat every day huh jamie that's what the um, life of a student's all about i think a starving student yeah i'm the epitome of a starving student i wish they would have some kind of competition they wouldn't though because the you know it's kind of a politically correct environment and they wouldn't want to put people out but you know if they had the contest for the brokest student on the you know in the university campus man i would win some extra macaroni and cheese off of that one for sure Nice, I, I tell dude. people I'm learning how to hate certain foods. I mean, once I get my degree, if I get any kind of position that's, you know, consistent or long, you know, permanent position somewhere, I, no matter what the, the salary is, I'm probably never, ever, ever going to eat macaroni and cheese again. Uh, ramen. Ramen noodles are out the window. Um, I love chili. I could eat chili three times a day. I don't, I don't know, man. It's wearing thin. I'm almost ruining my bond <laughs> with chili at this point. Uh, oh, there's a couple other things. So, how about spam? Are you a spammer? <laughs> I am not a spam. I hate every type of spam. <laughs> oh gosh! Just send uh, it to me or put it on my plate. I'm an anti-spam guy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, cool, dude. Cool. I uh, yes, 
Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm pot green. I live up in uh, in Humboldt County. I've lived up in Humboldt County for uh, about nine years now. I came from Kentucky. I don't know if that's Midwest or South. To me, it feels very Southern, and then at times it feels slightly Midwest. But uh, I would consider it the South. Um, it uh, was a slave state, although it was a neutral state, more of a battleground. In the Civil War, it definitely was a slave state, and so therefore I consider it um, uh, Southern. And it's, I mean, and everyone there talk, you know, talks with a Southern accent. So I think it's a uh, part of the Southern uh, culture of the United States. Um, let's see. I went to Humboldt State. I got a degree in political science and a minor in business. Um, I was kind of a professional student or a I don't know what I want to do with myself, student, for a while maybe, and I nearly have a minor in uh, chemistry, one in philosophy, and several other social social study areas, um, but ended up with political science and business. Um, I've worked professionally in uh, public opinion and consumer, um, consumer surveys, uh, basically uh, market research and, and public opinion. Uh, I've also worked in finance in the banking industry, and I've worked in communications and obviously also uh, revolving around medical marijuana, which has by far been my favorite um, industry to work in over my life. And uh, marijuana is my passion. I have been uh, an uh, advocate of marijuana since I was about 16. Really, since I was about 17, I knew it was something I really wanted in my life. When I was down and out trying to figure out what I wanted to do with myself at one point, that was the only thing I could think of in my life that really had value to it. I was, you know, I've had. Uh, couple battles with alcoholism in my life um and um i choose to uh abstain from alcohol for from from the mo for the most part i i don't don't drink a lot um as, although as you heard the other night obviously i did but that's that's a very rare occasion um and yeah i am uh an entrepreneur and uh a activist to some degree as well and on an even more important note, my mom does not know what I do yet. We still live in the age where <laughs> it's hard to talk to your folks about this. They, My mom is a worrier, and I I think she does know, but she'd rather not talk about it sort of thing is kind of where she's at. There's a lot of people that are like that in this world, and um, my family, my brothers and sisters and I have kind of decided that for me to talk to, the, to my mom about it, I need to prepare like a – hour and 30 minute PowerPoint presentation. Nice. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm currently working on that. That's my big project. Right on. <laughs> that's, uh, that's where we're at now, you know, so moving forward in that direction and would love to hear from all you people out there that have similar experiences. I know you're out there by the tons. Yeah. So what do you um, think? Should you tell the folks? Can you tell your folks? How do you go about it too? I mean, like, yeah, how how do you come out of the closet, you know? How do you do that? Matt, how did you do it, Matt? Um, I uh, I wrote both of my parents a letter, actually, um, kind of nice. explaining my position. Uh, semi-formal approach. It was a semi-formal approach, but I think it, I felt at the time, at least, I don't know if I still would do it the same way, that it was the uh, most effective way to communicate my thoughts and to in a you know in a structured structured format that uh, I wouldn't goof on the spot so to speak, you know I could right. put right. put time into into crafting my my message and delivering it and uh, sure 
it's it's been a while since that happened. Um, my mom has taken to the news better than my father, but I think they both accept that uh, <laughs> I'm their son and they love me. <laughs> good. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, yeah. So that's that's my like uh, coming out of the closet story, I guess. I'm... Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? Uh, what? So you you two both had a part in uh, the beginning phases of uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Can you tell everyone about what your roles were with with SSDP? We were at the uh, convention um, in uh, Washington D.C. at which SSDP was founded. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, George Washington what University. Yeah. What year was that, Jamie? Good grief. Uh, the 99, was it? Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, you're in your third decade of, uh, we're <laughs> in our third decade of pot advocacy. Well, Whoa. actually, we were involved a significant amount of time before that. Yeah. Uh, the story goes, um, it, and it's kind of an interesting one. We were actually a part of a, an organization called Normal Normal. Yeah. It's from Normal Illinois, where ISU is. And uh, it, it's... It's weird because anybody involved in, in activism, they understand that it's kind of one of the least glamorous type activities you can partake in. And yet, because of the novelty of our name, uh, when we would go to a conference, like this particular uh, SSDP conference at uh, George Washington University in D.C., they, they went around the tables, you know, and each each chapter was at their own table. And they said, we're from whatever, Duluth, Minnesota. Yay, clap, clap, clap. You know, the next people, we're from here. Clap, clap, clap. And then we said, we're this people and we're from normal, normal. And the place went, ah, like a rock show or something. I remember my friend uh, Ben was right next to me. And Ben, he goes, he looks at me. He's like, what do we do? He was so <laughs> out of place and unusual. I said, just go with it and, and yell back at him and go, yeah. You know, this is positive energy. You know, we'll just shove it right back into the mix and make good, make good out of this. And so we, uh, on the way home, we were so impressed with SSDP that uh, there's discussions, and the decision was made to um, change course and and, and uh, become an SSDP chapter. Although I still hope somebody, you know, would carry the banner of normal, normal. I don't know why they wouldn't. So we'll hopefully uh, be able to perpetuate that or keep it going. I'm going to make a trip up there before long and look into that, actually. We'll wow. Good deal. If cool, dude. There are, uh, there are students at the university still uh, still doing something. I'm not sure whether That's, it's normal normal or whether it's normal SSDP at the moment. Um, there's an SSDP up there. Um, there's also one at U of I at Champaign main campus as well. So that's a good thing because they're close and they're both major campuses that, you know, that can be, they can coordinate and stuff and be more effective. But I, I don't know for sure if there's a normal or not. I know there is still some, uh, some pro uh, cannabis reform activity going on there, organized activity. So that's positive, but I'm going to go up and talk to them folks and see what's happening. Maybe share some of our history with them and, you know, see if, uh, Maybe we can't make sure that we preserve normal normal as as important as that is. You know, it's bring also, back a, bring back a report. Let us know what you find out. Oh, absolutely. yeah. And if anyone happens to be listening from that area, you can definitely get a hold of us and let us know yeah. what's going on. Give well, us a call. We can try and get an interview with you, or or uh, take your comments or questions or statements what about that, or whatever. Uh, you know? Contact how, information. Yeah. How would they get a hold of us there? Uh, well, we got our website is up and going. Cannabisagenda.com. Um, we have an email, uh, cannabisagenda at gmail.com. We will be changing that in the future, but for now, it's cannabisagenda at gmail.com. What's the phone number? 707-654-CAN, which is C-A-N-N. We all three have individual Twitter accounts. Um, Cogs has one. 
Jay, Cas- Jay Casanova and Pot Green, and then we have a, um, a web uh, for the show actually Can- Cannabis Agenda uh, on Twitter too. Uh, our Facebook page will be up and going really soon, and we will be available on iTunes here soon for download as well. So that's all. Those are all the ways that you, you can contact us, and we would love to hear from you. So if you're out there, get a hold of us. Let us know what's up. Absolutely. What's happening in the world today? Tell us about some. Tell us about some reefer madness and some some people that we like and don't like, and some topics that, that are good and bad. Let's hear about it, Jamie. You know, I wish we were barren of of any kind of reefer madness stories. I wish we had nothing to talk about, and we were frustrated and had to figure out something else to to go over for the show. Unfortunately, that's far from the case. Uh, we do have some good news um, concerning some reefer madness. One of the the maddest anti reefer. Uh, proponents uh, in the in the land, Mr. Mark Souter, a rep- Republican from Indiana. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Mr. Souter. I think uh, a lot of people are probably more uh, aware of this individual than they realize. He's a really nasty drug war advocate. Um, he notoriously, one of the worst things that he was involved in, he sponsored uh, the amendment to the Higher Education Act that summarily denied financial aid to students with any drug conviction, including simple possession of a joint, um, while still allowing persons with convictions of rape, murder, or whatever to apply. They were fine. They could go right into school. Even if they'd been, uh, you know, their ex-convicts, they were able to get financial aid and go right into school. Actually, they're, they're legally protected to be able to do that. Um, while, you know, if you got caught with literally one joint, any kind of a cannabis arrest, any, any type at all, then, uh, you were denied, and effectively, this guy uh, kept over 200,000 people from uh, obtaining a college education due to their association with cannabis, which, as, as usual, is largely um, uh, just very simple, minor, simple quantities, you know, simple possession. And uh, he's a uh, he's kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to legislating morality. You know, he's the guy that gets on there and says, "Look, abstinence only." Um, gay people are horrible, evil people. You should not have sex unless you're married. And and weed is the the you know the scourge of the planet. And uh, he uh, recently was caught. Uh, actually, he filmed a presentation, a, a full program about abstinence. You know, I'm sure you're aware of what abstinence is. Um, and. The, the, the part-time staffer that he filmed this with, he was caught having an affair with her, an illicit sexual affair. He's a married guy, by the way. Um, so, you know, in their face. And, uh, in, God, these kind of things happen to these to, to conservative politicians across it, the country over me. and over it's, again. As horrible as, I, as they are, and, you know, as, as much as I just, you know, I just disdain that, that, that this kind of back-ass politics can even exist in, in our, our modern age. It's, it's, all, it's a little bit uh, satisfying, I have to admit, when you see all these jerks that go out. And, you know, a lot of them have been the big, big proponents of... You know, self-righteous, dude. Yeah, they're the self-righteous ones. They're right and you're wrong. And if you don't right. get it, then your soul is gone. You're evil. You're wrong. You're lost. You're on the wrong path. Everything negative. Plug in your own negative derogatory comments here. It's just, it's ridiculous. And then they fall. You know, so that Haggerty guy, the 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 um, the one who's the guy that just got caught with the, the rent boy. 
got a he got a male prostitute from rentboy.com and he's like saying he's the biggest he's the biggest anti-gay person he's probably affected more anti-gay legislation uh, in our country you know as, as much as anybody else has ever done and then he gets you know caught you know being with uh, a a paid male prostitute and it, it's ridiculous that these guys come out here and say all this stuff to us about what you can or can't do and then you know they they're going down in flames for doing exactly the same things. It's, it makes me wonder a, if any of them are ever puffing down. It's a le- it's a lesson in being self righteous, really, for anyone. If you ever get too high on your horses and won't consider the possibility that you're wrong about something, you're you're bound to be you know you're you're just bound to be wrong at some point. Okay. I mean, I think so. I, I mean, it's like us trying to say that we guarantee you they will never ever find any health negative health consequences with cannabis i just i'm not willing to say that and i know people that are that there never will be any found but you know i just have a feeling that there there could be or you know like i don't know like so uh, yeah being self-righteous about anything guaranteeing that one thing is the right way to be and something else is the wrong way to be you're just setting yourself up for failure Yep, absolutely. I mean, once we break our connection with nature, that's when we're headed headed for trouble, I think. And I think that they just, it's its human nature. There's human drives, there's human realities that are there that aren't written in any kind of religious book or scripture or any sort of spirituality or any sort of, you know, um, life manual or any kind of reference book. They're just, it's natural human life you this lady she was kind of, she was rather attractive young lady he's a, he's a grown man he's got these you know natural physiological urges and things that happen and man you just can't deny things like that i mean you can control them you can live your lives in certain ways that's your own you know choice to make but and that's a that's a underline that part that's a key element it's your own choice to make but you know, whenever they espouse what, what other people can and can't do while they're denying who they really are or really what they really are, you know, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean just as a, you know, the human animal. It, it's, it's just a recipe for disaster eventually. I mean, you know, and it's just it's not really that surprising that these kind of guys are falling like flies. Falling like flies. Uh, it's more like scum. We talk. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Rabid, uh, diseased flies. Yeah. You know. Anyway, you know. On the positive note, good riddance to the Mister Sauter. I hope you do fare well with uh, getting over this problem that you made for yourself. Good luck to you and your family. We wish you, uh, you know, good health the rest of your days. And uh, we're certainly glad that you're not involved in any way whatsoever right now making our policy because uh, you are definitely harmful, sir. I got to tell you. He's a neighbor of yours. He's a neighbor of Illinois. What's happening in the Midwest other than that guy? Tell us about some more Reaper Madness from the Midwest. Uh, well, actually, it's not quite as mad as we would imagine it to be. And it involves some police, some high-ranking police officials as well. Um, it's interesting. Um, first of all, the Illinois uh, l- medical cannabis legislation is by far, by, by, by no means whatsoever, um, it is, is it dead. It's by far very much alive still. Um, we're still working on it. The last I've heard, uh, Congressman Lou Lang, the sponsor of this uh, legislation in the House, is uh, he said that uh, it was about a week and a half ago that he had one vote. He was one vote shy 
Um, that's a week and a half ago. Um, since then, there's been some more uh, medical evidence that's been released, some clinical studies. There's been a couple other positive things happening in the in the news. So maybe this is the time when we can get this passed in Illinois. I think it's very much overly restrictive in the way that it's written. I don't think that it's obvious that the people that wrote this um, did so partially, at least partially, uh, over um, pressure political pressure because or you know public demand and it was it was not definitely not written by somebody that had any knowledge about what they were do, doing here but uh yeah it's uh it's looking very possible i want to i don't want to go beyond that just possible so anybody from illinois that hears this please by all means contact your legislators and uh we got some tips later that we'll share for you on how to communicate effectively with these people. Um, and uh, just make sure you reach out and let them know. I, I'm a voter and I support this. Um, if that's how you feel, I'm not trying to tell you what to think, but you know, if you, if you're, if you're for this legislation, make uh, sure you give it a quick read over and uh, contact your people, contact your representatives and say, look, man, I'm a citizen in Illinois and I want this to happen. Word. Yeah, Word. Go, go Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. You know what? Uh, unfortunately, we don't have uh, our law enforcement um, has not spoken out as positively as um, I would have actually expected them to be a little bit more positive than they have been. Um, they they tend to take the status quo. Look, we're law enforcement. So by default, we have to take this uh, anti-cannabis stance or any anti uh, anti any kind of drug policy reform stance. And uh, they've really kind of I don't know. There's been there's been questions around the state that somebody had said that they had taken they changed to more of a neutral stance on it. Um, I think due to some uh, hefty complaints from some people, I think some very right minded complaints from people that said, hey, look, man, you you're the ones that tell us that you don't make the laws. You just enforce them. And that's right. And so you should stop lobbying for them as well, because your job and your charge is simply to enforce the laws that are there. We're, work, we're working on changing the laws. We understand that that's the process we have to go through. But in the meantime, stop pushing your agendas. And uh, they're listening. They're right. They have a, they have a good, sound uh, uh, point that they're making by saying that. But many people are you know, complaining about that. So uh, – they're still that said they're still they're still against this you know and they still communicate just like regular you know civilians do with uh, our lawmakers and their their words are you know this is not a good thing it's a thumbs down coming from them and so you know it's it's up to our legislators to to rise above that and take all the positive information and all the potential benefit and weigh it against the potential harms involved and make their own educated informed decision you know, instead of just listening to some kind of uh, biased organization on any side. Um, so while we don't have as good as we want, um, we're working with it. Um, meanwhile, in Columbia, Missouri, you know, we've been following that story with the, uh, the, the SWAT raid and they shot that guy's dogs. Update, update, update. Yeah. We're updating. This is an update. If you've been listening before, you're following this story. Very Lots interesting of people are. stuff. Well, I, follow, I followed this uh, thing for quite a while pretty closely. And when I went there, right after we first mentioned this in our show, I think it was just a couple weeks ago, um, they already had a big forum going on at the Missourian, the newspaper there in Columbia, uh, Missouri. And uh, to my surprise, the police chief was on the forum actively like talking back and he was getting ripped i mean people i mean a lot of times they were they were 
inaccurate in the way that they were approaching him and they were just hysterical and, you know, it just wasn't very appropriate. But he was there. He put himself into that position and he knew it. And he, he, went, he went along with it. And no matter how nasty or, or, you know, extreme people got, he came back with a level head. And I got to admit, to his credit, I was very impressed with the way he handled it. I mean, for what it is. I mean, he's still a law enforcement officer. He's actually the chief. So <laughs> he's a high-ranking law enforcement officer. But uh, I, was, I was surprised to see that. Then I find out, I was unaware of this, uh, Columbia, Missouri has a lowest law enforcement priority ordinance in their city. And yep. if you're not familiar with what that is, um, that means that they have officially made it an official city ordinance. So it's become law that's voted in that their police, uh, their law enforcement uh, like on any level in their city, will treat cannabis as the lowest law enforcement priority. So if somebody is, I don't know, uh, yelling at somebody and causing a commotion down the block and somebody's smoking a joint, they're supposed to go get the other people first and say, hey, what's going on here and deal with that situation because it takes priority over cannabis, um, like everything does. And... uh Yet they still send in a SWAT team yeah. and gun down a dog in a pink sweater and frighten the crap out of a six or seven year old kid right. for a pipe with some residue. Yeah, pot residue. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's a low and, priority. You know, the low uh, priority ordinance does not stipulate uh, less than twenty uh, uh, grams or anything like that. It says no amount on it. It says in a general sense. Cannabis is the lowest law enforcement priority. So, you know, they're a little bit at odds with what's going on. But uh, I think we have a clip here, and you can hear it. i got to warn you that the, the, the press person or the, the individual that's asking the, the initial question, he's kind of hard to hear because he's not mic'd. He's out in the crowd. But uh, then the, the police chief should be a little bit easier to make out. But it, it was an interesting uh, thing to see this or to listen to him. Um, I continue to be somewhat impressed with him. I mean, at the same time, there is this weird duality where it's kind of like a scapegoat thing. You know, well, we're cops and we have to, we have to arrest people. No, they're not following the rules there. They're in a college town. I just don't, I can't agree with this. I, here's where I feel like, yeah, he's, he's doing a good job. He's doing his job. He's letting, he's standing there being hammered. I mean, they did go in and, you know, guns a blazing. He's got to answer some questions, and he obviously has to be rational to keep his job or he's losing his job. Here's the deal. Uh, he's with us to, to on our fight to end marijuana prohibition, but he sends a SWAT team into a, a house with kids and dogs and lights it up with bullets. I, I just And then he says, are officers acted appropriately? I don't know. That doesn't sound like he was following what the – they're in a college town. They're definitely – Definitely higher priority crimes occurring the even at two o'clock in the morning the night that they went in there. So yeah. I just I, I have trouble. I find a lot of hypocrisy in this whole thing, and I'm still kind of wondering where it's all going to shake out to. But right. But uh, on the on the positive note, you know, he does say, "Look, I'm with you. You want to change laws? Let's do it." You know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm behind it, and I don't I don't see police officers even saying that hardly ever, and for. You know, outside of leap, you know those guys. But uh, the for a police chief to come out and, and openly say that—that's uh, that's that's somewhat of a first for me. Norm Stamper is the only one. He's a former guy in Seattle. So yeah, roll that. Shall we roll the clip? Okay. Yeah, let's check it yeah, out. See what you think about this. Two years ago, Chief, five years ago, and I think you're aware of this before you came. Sixty-one percent of the voters in the city voted to make marijuana law enforcement the lowest priority. 
uh, that was amended by the council to say it should be among the lower priorities. But that is the law in this city. That's the law on the books in this city at this time. Does that have any effect on the policy of the department? Does that impact in any way what you all do? You know, I'm, I'm going to be very frank with you. I, I'm not sure how to accomplish what the ordinance says. Uh, I think that if I have a choice between, uh, I'm, I'm a police officer out on the street, and I had a choice between catching somebody breaking into a warehouse and, and cleaning it out and arresting somebody, and I'm, I'm assuming you're talking for a misdemeanor amount of marijuana. Well, but it's not, it doesn't say misdemeanor. It right. says marijuana law enforcement. You know, I, I think my answer to you has to be that those uh, more than misdemeanor uh, amounts of marijuana are going to have to be made not a violation of state law. And I, you know, I, I applaud your efforts. I mean, you know, if we could get out of the business, I think there are a lot of police officers that would be happy to do that. I, Unfortunately, it is a, it is still a matter of law. And the, you know, the shooting that happened right after the, the week right after uh, just kind of came to the forefront was over marijuana. You know, so so crimes of violence do occur uh, because of marijuana. It's not. And you may make the argument that it's because it's not legal. Uh, and I, hey, you may be right. Uh, I don't have anything against it except it's against the law. And as a police officer, I've sworn to uphold the law. And so prioritizing when we can, you're absolutely right. I think that uh, we should we should concentrate on uh, uh, methamphetamine or something like that that's more serious. But if we come across marijuana, it's still against the law. So uh, I. I'm with you on the fight. I, I hope you're successful at some point, and, and we'll see how that goes. Yes, sir. All right, he smoked dope before. He's obviously a little bit confused about how he feels about his differences between being a police officer and being an ex stoner at some point in his life. Do you but, see that duality I was talking yeah, about? Yeah, I do. I see the duality, and I, and I think that it's it's hopeful to hear that he's been touched but think about what it what it just took to, to sort of touch him they had to go in and kill a dog and create an uproar over Imagine something and here here's where this problem comes back into you constantly have these issues with marijuana laws and the, even when we improve our marijuana laws you still have cops trying to interpret the law so okay he says well it's still illegal at a state level so it's still illegal well once it's legal at a state level it'll probably still be illegal at a federal level. So then will you continue to prosecute it because ultimately it's illegal? Well, that depends on your view of the Constitution and whether uh, federalism, whether federal law actually trumps state law. I mean, you can just keep on going down the line. And he, at the beginning, says someone breaking into a warehouse and clearing out a warehouse or a misdemeanor amount of marijuana. Well, what if we're talking a felony amount of marijuana, which in Missouri is probably an ounce an ounce or something crazy. I don't know. We can look that up real quick. But um, if, uh, if let's say it's, let's say it's a pound even, you know, whatever, dude, it doesn't even matter. Someone breaking into and clearing out a warehouse or a felony amount. Well, then would you choose the felony amount to go bust instead of someone stealing from someone? I mean, this is where, this is where the problem lies. The police don't, a lot of the laws we pass don't set the guidelines clear enough. Like, Hey, Lowest priority, meaning no SWAT interactions for any marijuana crimes unless they are involving guns and organized, you know, drug gangs or something. And then be specific about what that is even, you know what I mean? Like, 
And that's you know, where the problem lies. There's still incentives written in there too, because the guy, if they bust the guy ripping off the warehouse, then they get a bust and they take him in and that's it. But if they bust the guy doing the fel- felony quantity of any kind of controlled substances, then they, they, they get uh, the opportunity to confiscate any kind of money or property or anything that they have. And they they can, man, it's like, it's like looting the castle, man, for these guys sometimes. Oh, oh yeah, and and the, and here's the other deal, dude. Is like it, they bust a pot person, then they get to question them, ask a million questions, try and get them to turn in who they got the pot from. Then they have an even further investigation, and you know what I mean. And then they right. try to raid them. And okay, here it is, off of normal.org. Here are the laws. Here's a misdemeanor amount of marijuana for possession is under 35 grams. Over 35 grams is a felony. So you'd rather. So if we're talking about someone clearing out a warehouse or possessing over 35 grams of pot, where do you draw the lines, Mr. Chief Police? How about this? Sales of five grams or less is a felony. So if I sold you an eighth, he would say that he would want to possibly arrest me over going and getting someone who's clearing out clearing out a warehouse. We haven't we don't even know what the implication of that is. I mean, we could be talking about millions of dollars worth of merchandise being stolen out of a warehouse right. and organized crime too. Probably people that clear out warehouses are usually mafia, as far as I'm concerned, like the movies. And hey, let's go rob this truck, you know, and then we'll have a million cigarettes to sell. I, I'm I just I feel like he's. He's got that duality you're talking about, but that they're cops trying to interpret law is the biggest problem here is when we write laws relating to cannabis, we need to spell them out as much as possible so that the cops don't have any gray area to operate in so that they can't be enforcing their political agendas or their, you know, ideological uh, perspective within the law. And that's obviously what's still going on here is he's saying, yes, we have this, but I don't know how to enforce the ordinance. I decided that as soon as it was passed. I can't. I don't know what this ordinance means, so I'm still just going to follow state law because state law is the real law. What you, what 61% of voters wanted in, in Columbia doesn't mean anything because I don't understand your point of view. Yeah, you know, and that's a that's a good point that Cogs brought up earlier. We we're discussing this case and or this story, and he said, you know, that's. That's BS because they have discretion. Some of that gray area you're referring to is discretionary area. That's where the police officer has to, the discretionary uh, freedom to make their own decision, you know, on what to do and how to handle a situation and whether to pursue it any further. And often, I mean, I'm sure that these cops in Columbia often they'll let somebody go that was speeding, you know, and say, look, slow it down, all right, I'm going to give you a warning, see you later, or, you know, some little offense or maybe somebody got in a fight. That could be a felony aggravated battery if you wanted to press it. But they said, all right, you guys, cool it, you know, and they, they clear it all up and get it taken care of and no arrests are made. That's discretionary stuff. Well, why wouldn't they use discretion in a cannabis-related situations? And that's a good point, I think. Um, they have that discretion. They can still use it. The law says that they're supposed to enforce other laws when they happen. And if they have zero discretion, tolerance. Yeah, yeah, I think that comes in. It's zero tolerance uh, hypocrisy. 
I mean, I'm telling you, they're in a college town. Columbia is a college town. It's where the University of Missouri is, and uh, there's got to be other other more serious crimes in a family with the pipe and some residue. And, you know, here's the other thing. We haven't been – they haven't released what their intelligence was. What were they going – surely they weren't going there for a dude with a pipe, right? I mean, they were going there because they thought they were going to find a felony amount of marijuana, we presume, correct? Yeah. Who knows what that is? I want to know, though. I do want to know. I want to know. Well, well, what are we talking about here? A guy, like a, a family that was selling eights to their personal friends. I think they what, probably what, what? they probably thought about maybe a half pound, maybe a, from anywhere from a quap to like a, a pound and a half. I think, and maybe they were hoping. They always hope, you know, that there'll be like thirty thirty pounds or some you know larger amount that'll give them some recognition and they'll get kudos and extra money and funding and all that stuff. But. Cops are still in the in the dark ages. They don't understand. Thirty pounds is a not even a fraction of the amount of marijuana that's in Columbia, Missouri. It's not even a fraction of the amount of marijuana that's in their county or in their state or sure. in our country. I mean, a a quap of half pound. Are you serious? Going with guns over right. that? So what? There's no justification here, and yeah. until these ass backwards cops start figuring it out that they're performing. A terrible civil civil duties to people by by this is just, right. it disgusts me man so I don't know how to even talk about this anymore <laughs> it didn't affect the quantities available it didn't affect the the process of people getting or using or liking or appreciating cannabis it didn't change anything all it did was it hurt some in one family of individuals um, in some ways possibly irreparably I mean who knows what that poor uh, young man is going to have to go through that little child he's I can't imagine. I mean, I'm still, I'm still deeply angry with my father for taking a puppy away from me when I was a little bitty kid, a lot younger than seven. <laughs> and if I can still remember that and harbor some negativity to it, you know, whoo, imagine yeah. what happened if the dudes came in with like stormtroopers and shot your dog and, oh, that's just, it's bad oh man, uh, yeah, it, I, we've got to move on guys. I'm going to, I'm going to puke soon. If <laughs> yeah, me on. too. So anyway, that's an update. We're hoping there's a there's a glimmer of hope. There's a little bit of sun shining through there. But, you know, it's still tainted in the same old uh, malarkey. So we'll keep an eye on it and see what see where that goes. I got a story, one more story from uh, the Midwest. Uh, Minnesota Bong Wars, MPP feed here going on. Um, as we all know, uh, Governor um, Tim Pawlenty is uh, highly expected to make a run for the for the White House in 2012. He was, uh, I believe he was uh, under consideration for being um, McCain's uh, vice presidential running mate before uh, he unwisely chose, uh, what's her face, Sarah Palin. And um, But anyway, Tim Pawlenty is uh, way against marijuana, guys. Uh, he it vetoed the bill that um, would have allowed medical marijuana in uh, – in in Minnesota, and he also just vetoed a bill that closed a loophole. Try again. He vetoed a bill that would close a loophole in state law that makes it possible to prosecute people for the contents of their bong water. Under the bill, which passed the Minnesota state uh, legislature in a nearly unanimous vote, prosecutors would no longer be able to use bong water to calculate the weight of controlled substances in drug cases. Um, the court ruling uh, made it to where you can charge people with drug possession for the residue in the dissolved water in their bongs. And this bill would have closed that loophole, meaning you could no longer call 
bong water cannabis. It simply would be paraphernalia. It wasn't making it legal to have a used bong. It would just take it back to where it is, obviously, in a paraphernalia. You know, it's paraphernalia. It's not possession of cannabis. But uh, now, it, it, it's, since he vetoed it, um, your bong water is still cannabis, and you will be charged with paraphernalia and possession of cannabis, even if you don't have any, um, any, any cannabis with you. Um, and like I said, uh, he, he vetoed the medical marijuana bill that would have permitted seriously ill, Ill patients to use uh, marijuana without fear of arrest. Um, so here he is, a guy that might run for president in 2012. Uh, good luck with that. Um, good luck with now, everybody else's vote. Yeah, totally. And uh, now I'm going to move on to, to some news from the South, the Southern Stoners. Um, They're doing uh, more, something with that bong thing down there, too, aren't they? It's kind they, of a new... They, they are. They are. Um, Florida is a spring breaks uh, spot destination, you know, the remember the big Johnson t-shirts and all that stuff. Well, those sort of things were being sold in, uh, in head shops. Basically when I was a kid and would go there, that was one of the reasons to go there. It was like where you could get pipes and, uh, pipe dreams, I believe operation pipe dreams from like, you know, gosh, been almost eight years now or whatever had something to do with the transfer of pipes into Florida as well. Well, they, meanwhile, basically Florida just recently passed a law that outlaws the sale of water pipes in any commercial establishment. Um, there are certain amount of, there are some places that might be ex exempt, but most head shops will likely be forced out of business if they're selling any sort of water pipe. Um, and uh, this is just one more one more sign of, uh, so even though we're getting so much positive stuff throughout the country, this is just one more sign of a state um, trying their best to, to grab on to the, to the last last their last stronghold for, you know, reefer madness. Um, okay. And uh, here's something I got. And I am a I'm a fan of MPP, and I am a fan of their blogger, um, Mike Mino. Uh, however, um, the story that he's talking about here, about support for medical marijuana, helps lift Senate candidate to primary victory. Um, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a, a little bit too much spin on, on what really is going on. What he's talking about is he's talking about the state of Kentucky, my home state. And, um, Rand Paul is a, he's the son of Ron Paul and he's an ophthalmologist from Kentucky. Wealthy man, intelligent man, libertarian, very strong libertarian, uh, and he is uh, a supporter of medical marijuana, um, and I believe he's a supporter of um, uh, legalizing or decriminalizing marijuana in the whole country. Um, however, to say that his support for medical marijuana is what lifted him to – by the way, it was like a 24-point win in the in – the, um, in the uh, primary is just kind of far from the truth. Um, I was there while the major ad, I was there the last two weeks running up to this election and um, the ad campaign had nothing to do. I, I imagine that there was some editorializing at some point that may have called him a kook about the marijuana thing, but it didn't go on big. The slam ads had nothing to do with medical marijuana or marijuana in general. It had to do with economics and um, it really, 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 this, the whole thing there wasn't a, an issue of 
marijuana versus a non-marijuana candidate. It was an issue of a libertarian Tea Party type guy, which Rand Paul is, versus a more a somewhat more centrist Republican, even though he's pretty right-wing guy, Trey Grayson. But um, it, it came down to Rand Paul is the next rock star. He's the young, up-and-coming uh, libertarian Republican senator that will run for president someday, and he's kind of like got the Obama effect in the state of Kentucky. He's going to win the Senate by a huge majority. He will be a this, one of the two sitting senators from the state of uh, Kentucky, um, which means he will not have any real part in establishing medical marijuana laws in Kentucky, and he will he will be a he will be an advocate for for marijuana in the Senate. But this really has a lot more to do with economic policies than it does with marijuana policies. So nice spin, nice try, but we should represent the truth for what it is. He is, a, he is an advocate, but that's not what helped him get a 24-point win. It's more of his rock star status. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I think moving forward here um, when we look at, at stories like this, it's, it's, it's good, it's good that, that, that these candidates – move through, especially conservative candidates. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, we, we need to be realistic about what really happened there. And I imagine they were going, oh, well, no one cares about Kentucky or knows anything about Kentucky anyway, so I might as well just say it. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not following that one, Mike. Don't believe it. Um, I, was, uh, I was there, man. I, I keep up with that place. I know, I know what's happening, and, and I, uh, I think that was just a little too much spin. Um, but now – Let's move on some a little bit less a little bit uh, more lighthearted news than we've had sure. o- over the last like twenty thirty minutes. Um, ah. It's time for today's trip down the green carpet. Um, New York Knicks swingman Wilson Chandler busted for pot in a traffic stop. Um, another story about an NBA dude getting busted smoking mm. dope happening again. How does this happen to so many NBA guys? Well, I think it's pretty accepted uh, practice in the NBA to, to relax with booze. It's better than uh, going out to a nightclub, getting drunk, and shooting yourself in the leg and ending up in uh, prison for two years. Um, he was busted with uh, less than two ounces of marijuana during a traffic stop at 94th Avenue and 213th Street in Queens. Right. Uh, at about 11.30 p.m., he was pulled over in his 2010 Mercedes because he had his lights off. The cops smelled pot, searched the car. They found five bags of weed in the trunk, less than two ounces total. Oh. Uh, Chandler and his passenger, Lamont Yarbrough, are each charged with criminal possession of marijuana. I believe they're misdemeanors. I believe they were cited even, mm-hmm. not taken to jail. And they will have court appearances for it. He is uh, was a first round pick. He averages over 15 points per game. Um, he left the last month of, of the season with a groin injury, and I believe he had another serious injury that was required uh, surgery around that time as well. So um, I don't know. Perhaps he's using marijuana to uh, to deal with his uh, his pain. Hopefully, he wasn't smoking it in the car. I would not uh, not think that's a good yeah. idea. Uh, shouldn't be smoking in the car, but still, 
Um, it looks like uh, it looks like another guy making the choice to to choose a safer alternative, and he's getting um, he's getting a little flack for it. Uh, other recent arrests in the NBA on uh, May 13, 2009, Darius Miles of the Memphis Grizzlies was arrested for misdemeanor misdemeanor marijuana possession in uh, Fairview Heights, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Joakim Noah of the Chicago Bulls, another Illinois guy from Florida. Uh, on uh, May 28th of uh, May 25th of 2008, had a misdemeanor marijuana arrest in Florida, and Justin Reed of the Houston Rockets on September 4th of 2007 was arrested um, for marijuana possession in uh, Jackson, Missouri, um, and it, it, the list really goes on and on and on with. NBA players, um, it's at least one a year. Uh, it seems fairly common practice to fairly common and accepted practice to use marijuana as a way to relax for NBA players and um, as an alternative to alcohol. And uh, it looks like there's other industries that have an acceptance of this too, aren't there, Jamie? Well, yeah, it's interesting. We we're talking about that duality that those cops are showing on a regular basis. That's just kind of. Uh Perplexing. Well, it, it's similar in the media as well. I think most people are still unfortunately confused about cannabis for some reason. But the New York Times, I first uh, heard about the story that you're talking about um, with uh, uh, Chandler, Wilson Chandler, in the New York Times. Of course, he's a New York player, so that made sense that he would be in there. It really wasn't very favorable at all. Um, at the same time, it's, it's interesting to me at the same, just about the same time period that, that came out, they had also published, a a, a very long, uh, story, um, called marijuana fuels, a new kitchen culture in their dining and wine section. And, uh, that was from, uh, May 18th of 2010. And it was very positive. The gist of it was talking about how professionals in kitchens, um, professional chefs and, and their staff, professional uh, um, like fine cuisine employees, if you will, um, regularly uh, puff down a little bit of cannabis to relax after a hard day. I mean, if you've seen any of those cooking shows, it makes sense to me that <laughs> that would probably be uh, advisable for them guys. It's pretty high caliber stuff. But it was the gist of the, the story was very, very positively presented. And it, it was basically saying that it's widespread and it's a norm in that industry. And it, it didn't have anything negative at all to say about it. I wasn't upset about that by any means. But uh, it was really positive. So it's interesting to me that they can do a full – the story with a lot of disclosure in the story. It was a really interesting story. I'd recommend for people to check that out, look it up. Uh, but at the same time, this is so positive. And they come out with the other story of somebody getting arrested for a small quantity of cannabis. And it, it, it's just, it's a double standard. I mean, what did one person wrote the story that was okay with things the way they are. And then another person wrote the Chandler story that was anti-cannabis or how does that work? I mean, well, I, it's, it's really interesting. actually, I've been, I've been, uh, following, I'm a, I'm a big time sports, sports guy. And, um, I've been following sports for a long time and honestly, sports news, um, usually does not put any value upon a marijuana arrest. They simply report it, they update the, 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 um, where we're at with it, mm-hmm. and um, they, uh, they, they, they you know, talk about it a little, but there's usually no value at it, like this guy's an idiot or this or that. Rarely is there, it's usually a fairly objective uh, story about it. 
the New York Times, what it sounds like, though, is was less objective. I haven't read this story. You're saying it now. Obviously, it was not an objective story. They had a lot of uh, opinion in it about value of what he did. And, um, and then it's really kind of crazy to then go back a couple days and look at the story they did about culinary arts and how how like you know positive of a spin they put on that and and that's 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 where we're at still we're still in that sort of thing cuz even like ESPN like I was saying ESPN will report about you know marijuana convictions or arrests or you know updates or whatever uh, and but they rarely put any value on it but then when it came down to like Ricky Williams the running back from Texas who basically has failed multiple marijuana uh, tests and is big time into yogi and Eastern religion and basically quit professional football because they were unwilling to accept his his uh, medicinal and habitual use of cannabis. Um, they they made him look like an idiot, you know. And um, so they go back and forth. the media tends oh. to go back and forth. They're like, oh, you should value your professional career more than cannabis use. And don't forget you know. Michael Phelps. That was oh, huge. Yeah. I think they backed off because they were literally scared of that story. They said, man, we can't pursue this because it's going to blow up in our faces. We're telling you this makes you stupid and unsuccessful and and lethargic. This will make you sit on the couch and do nothing with your life. And here's this guy that's achieved more gold medals than, you know, any single Olympiad. You know, it's just amazing. That- oh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I even have, you know, like basically I'll hit this story real quick, too. Tim Lincecum, pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, is off to a 5-0 and start this year. He leads the majors with 69 strikeouts and is eighth among all pitchers with the 1.76 ERA, which is badass, people, and I am a Giants fan, so I'm stoked on Tim Linscombe. He's the freak. He's a young guy. He's got a hippie look. He's won two straight Cy Young awards. He's probably got. He's got a good chance at picking up his third straight Cy Young award this year. And he was arrested in the off season in Washington during a traffic stop. Um, he paid a fine for possession of marijuana. Um, but yes, they want it to seem like you cannot be successful. When when you smoke pot, they all these guys come out and apologize for what they did. I doubt most of them mean it. I bet most of them mean I will be very careful not to get caught. But I'm not gonna, you know. I mean, they're gonna the guys that, that like marijuana are gonna continue to use it as their as their medicine and as their um, as as their uh, pastime basically over alcohol. That's what they're going to do. And these people obviously are still very successful athletes, capable. And um, I mean, you know, I mean, just look at look at the guys we're talking about here. A guy in the NBA that averages over 15 points, the uh, the most decorated summer Olympian, a two a, a two time. Um, Cy Young Award winner, who's won is one two uh, Cy Young in his first two seasons in the majors, uh, full seasons in the majors, and I mean they're successful. You can't you can't say otherwise. It's kind of as if their unspoken message, their living message is smoke weed and get things done. Yeah, they're right. living by example. You know, I know Not totally. Ex- yeah, they're like, look, you can smoke weed and be a badass. You don't have to. You don't have to abuse pot all day long, every day, and be lazy. And even if you do, you might still be able to be successful. Some people function very well. T- THC affects people differently. You de- there are some people that THC definitely they sh- they should 
medicate less with it because it does does slow them down a bit. I don't know. I've observed it. I can't prove it. I'm not a doctor. I've observed it. I've observed it in my own life. When I smoke a little bit too much, it can throw me off just a little bit, you know? And therefore, I try to titrate my medications and um, use cannabis smart. And, and, and But I have friends that I have friends <clears throat> that engineer this program that can basically smoke like five times more than me and are barely affected by it. THC affects people way differently. And there are a lot of people that are, <laughs> most people continue to live very um, successful lives for themselves, whatever that may be for them and use cannabis. Um, uh, they, they use it, um, you know, with, with care and caution and they, they think about their use, you know, and I'm so. not trying to out these people, but you would be surprised. People would be absolutely stunned by the number of professionals and individuals that some of these real prohibitionist uh, extremists uh, would, would really like and really appreciate and value and trust. And if they were completely honest about it all, they would, you know, which they're not able to be. So that's what I mean. I don't want to add these guys, but they're, you know, in every walk of life that, you know, they regularly use cannabis. And you would never know it because they keep it private because of the social stigmas and the, you know, the professional, the problems in the professional world. And, they, they're, they're top ranking, top achieving, you know, most creative and consistently positive people. You know, I mean, it's, it's a shame due to the illegality that so many people have to kind of stay there in were, the closet. There were probably people in the Bush administration that were smoking on the Bush. We know there's got to be people in the Obama administration. We know there's people that are news anchors for ESPN, for, for, other big time news networks that probably puff ganja occasionally. They don't talk about it. They do it. And, and, you know, it's, it's the reality of the world. Although, uh, it's too bad. Hopefully, hopefully as we continue to move forward, some of these people will start outing themselves and start being honest about it. Here's a guy, Mark Emery, that has not ever been shy about talking about (laughs) his use of pot. Uh, Stoner is reporting that he was extradited. Um, Let's see, he was extradited from Vancouver to the U.S. on Thursday of last week. Uh, He will plead guilty to conspiracy to manufacturing marijuana and begin serving a five-year jail sentence, federal jail sentence. He's the founder of Cannabis Culture and Emory Seeds, and he sold thousands of cannabis seeds to U.S. customers before being arrested in 2005. Uh, More than 70 free Mark Emory rallies took place in Canada and the U.S. on May 22nd. He's currently in a prison south of Seattle and will Mm -hmm. appear in court um, today sometime. Um, So we will keep you updated on that as well. I just read a story actually about that. I'll include that, uh, you know, it's a little bit more uplifting. I know we're all been kind of uh, heart struck by this whole process that Mark has been going through. Um, He has been moved to SeaTac in Seattle. And uh, good news, he says that it's absolutely uh, way better than where he came from in Fraser. The, that institution in, in uh, Canada that he was in, he's uh, he's feeling good. He's uh, he gets up early in the morning, about six o'clock at night. Stays up, he said, by about eleven p.m. He's really tired, so he's able to sleep again. And a lot of the the harsh complaints and, and negative things that he was experiencing that he had uh, going on in the last place he was at are are kind of worked past now, and he's he's doing a heck of a lot better. Um, one note: he, he if you would like to send. Uh, something to him. You can send mail to him. 
Um, please, uh, Jody Emery has posted this. She said, be safe. Send only handwritten or hand-typed letters. Um, photos are permitted, but please don't send pictures of bongs or marijuana plants or nudity or anything illegal or inappropriate because it'll get refused and he won't get it. Um, the only books that he wants right now will be sent by Jody, so don't worry about that. Um, otherwise, when new books arrive, Mark is he has to give up the ones he's reading. So in the next few months, he's got a he's got a lot of stuff going on that he's reading already. He's going to set up an Amazon.com wish list for uh, fans of Mark that want to help him out and make his time a little bit more bearable. Um, and uh, make sure that you understand all this mail is thoroughly read by prison officials. So don't write about illegal activities or anything that you want to keep private, for goodness sake. Um, the mailing address is Mark Scott Emery, number 40252-086, unit DB, as in Donna Buchanan. DB, um, P.O. Box 13900, FDC, c Seattle, Washington, 98198, uh, plus four is uh, 1090, and it's uh, here in the USA, and that'll, you can write him. We'll, and We'll help. put that address in the show notes as well. Yes, and uh, you can also read more about this. He has been. Uh, fortunately, they have email access here, which is a big upgrade from what he was involved with before. It's called the CORE system. I don't know what that acronym stands for, but uh, it's a federal uh, penitentiary uh, email s- system. It's called CORE Links, actually. And uh, he is, he's uh, been emailing his wife, Jody. Um, he's emailed her probably five or six times at least by now. Um, she just reported, and uh, he's... He's doing good. He can use some extra stuff. Uh, if you want to go to their website at cannabisculture.com, you can read more about that and kind of keep up with how he's doing. And all that contact information, um, as our producer just said, will be on our, our site as well as their site. Um, so check it out, and he would appreciate your continued support. He would. Uh, I got one more celeb story here for you guys today. Um, Mick Jagger was on uh, Larry King, the Larry King show, promoting the Exile on Main Street Deluxe Edition. How many times are they going to sell that album? <laughs> uh, just call it something different and resell the album. Uh, yeah, Mick Jagger is a, a, a definitely a shameless self promoter. Um, uh, he he spoke at length about his views on uh, legalizing drugs and believes that uh, humans just have a propensity to want to take drugs in some form. Um, at the end, he talks about, uh, he says that he still has problems entering the U.S. due to a 1969 marijuana bust in London, which Jagger has long claimed was a setup. Um, he says, every time I come into the U.S., I have to go to this special room. Then he laughed and said, even though it's been 40-something years since that marijuana conviction. Uh, Mick Jagger paid $380 fine in 1970 for that conviction. Yes. And that is cannabis reefer madness yes. from the U.S. guy. What do you think? Like, this guy's going to, what are they, like, just, like, hoping they can bust him again at the thing with, like, a personal amount of marijuana or something? Or they think Mick Jagger's, like, you know, bringing all the, the weed and the United States over and his, his personal airplane and, you know, it's just, uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, uh, 
it's funny, but whoa, what's this going about? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so what's uh, it's time to move on to your Rocky Mountain High. What's the deal in uh, Colorado, bro? You know, what, what's going on there? There's a lot of stuff going on in Colorado right now. Um, most of it's all pending. I don't, I don't really want to spend too much time on on all the details, but uh, the this this the changes in their 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 policy, their cannabis policy, and their laws in that state came about so abruptly that it was kind of overwhelming to a lot of people. And I think a lot of people have caught their breath and they're trying to, there's a little bit of backlash. What's really happening. I think they're trying to sort it all out and get it all organized and, you know, weed through what, you know, the details. And uh, so there's some pros and cons going to be involved in that. We'll report more in depthly on that next time. But there is one particular story I wanted to mention. It's somewhat unique. Um, you know, Boulder, Colorado and Colorado in general, but especially Boulder uh, is a pretty liberal leaning uh, Colorado University town. They're very green-minded um, in a general sense. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know how excited they're going to be about this this new law, but Boulder has required that medical pot growers go green. Um, Boulder's approved regulations last Tuesday um, for the medical marijuana industry with a twist in keeping with the sensibility of, uh, of their town and their, their general way of thinking. This is from the, uh, the Associated Press. The regulations unanimously passed Tuesday will require growing operations to offset, and get this, 100% of their electricity use with wind or solar power. Um, other rules limit them to 3,000 square feet, require them to be at least 500 feet away from schools or licensed daycare, which is pretty much common practice. But, but yeah, there's uh, estimated about 100 dispensaries in that city, and they have until October 31st to apply for an operating license. Um, also, the applications are going to be pretty expensive. They'll cost up to like $5,000 each. They expect that it will probably knock out about half of these dispensaries because they're just not – That's their goal. That's their goal, dude. It is. That's their goal, dude. Hey, Matt. Let's not even let's not talk about these restrictions on distance from things. Let's just talk about the the one uh, offsetting one hundred percent of your electrical use. How do you feel about that? Myself, uh, I I think it's kind yeah. of yes, actually. Yeah. And, and Why I, so? I, I'm I'm a fan of our environment, um, but uh, we don't we don't require McDonald's to offset their electrical usage. Um, no, we don't require anybody. Uh, we don't no. require anybody to. It's a, it's a abnormal request. Why don't you require the federal government to do it? I, I, I'm just like I don't know. I'm it, I'm kind of kind of it, burdened by this. Just like all these businesses will be. Yeah, it'll, it's it's basically a tax, is what it amounts to. Um, they'll have to pay additional uh, money to to ensure that their their power. I mean, they'll still get it from the grid. But they'll, they'll they'll pay money to these renewable energy companies who supposedly ensure that the power is being generated somewhere by uh, solar or wind. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, I think this is unconstitutional. Really, uh, I don't think that you can is. do this. I don't think you can do that to a, I, to an industry. My I mean, where's the precedent? Says this is silly. Yes, it says that to me too. I mean, I'm all for us promoting green uh, energy, but that's just in society as a whole. We should be making green energy as much as possible, not requiring one industry over the other. It's like, hey, you're the you're the you know the the bad stepchild in the in the house. We're going to make you uh, clean the the bathroom floors with a um, 
with a, a, a toothbrush just so you can have dinner. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, it's I mean, disproportionate, isn't it? In, in comparison to any industry, I mean, where I mean, I can think of. I mean, it, you know, we've got to be honest. Uh, manufacturing marijuana indoors requires a decent amount of um, resources. Um, but as is manufacturing any commodity, really. Uh, so um, to do this to just one particular industry seems unfair. It seems like it seems arbitrary, and it seems like it's just one more loophole. And it's one more statement that uh, someone's saying, saying, "Well, your business is slightly less uh, less cool than these other ones, less right. viable than other ones." So we're going to make you jump through this crazy loophole that no one is really going to be able to jump through. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be a huge financial burden for businesses that are already operating in that area. And I don't even know how they're going to remedy it. I hope that they remedy it in courts. I imagine that's where it'll go. Oh yeah. But, um, oh, yeah. The fight has just begun. Fight has just begun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, here well, we got to admit guys, we are big fans of the environment. We are big fans of, of um, green energy policies, but that is for society as a whole. I mean, right. why, I mean, what's, you, why can't, I mean, you, okay, so how come people that make pottery don't have to do that? How come people that make cigarettes don't have to do that or that make beer in Denver or Boulder or whatever? I mean, to do, just for one industry? No way. It's not going to hold up. Yeah. It can't. It's just, it just, it's just not, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. I I'm surprised they didn't say 60% or even like, you know, 30% or something, but yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I know, 100%. I'd still be having issues with requiring anyone to do anything. I think it's more of a choice of a business to, to do that yeah, sort of stuff, you know? Honestly, I, I think it would be good business. Good business. You, you would probably uh, find a market for people who wanted environmentally conscious weed, mm-hmm. um, but the government requiring it? Just impose it, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a high bar to set. I think they're, it's pretty obvious they're doing it to try and shut down as many people as possible to try to get these people to conglomerate as much as possible so that they can uh, tax them easier, probably. I mean, you know, that's, that, those are my initial Certainly thoughts. Certainly will be uh, very interesting to see how these things play out. We'll keep you updated yeah. as they come. Don't you have no. some news for us from the land of fruits, nuts, and buds? I do. California news for you guys. Um Okay, where I live in uh, Eureka, they, Eureka, California, they are starting to um, allow, like they've had moratoriums on dispensaries here for a long time. They haven't officially lifted the, the moratorium. The, the ordinance that's going into place is in the planning commission at this point. Um, however, two dispensaries have opened in, uh, uh, in Eureka. The Humboldt County Planning Commission sent out notifications uh, to um, informing residents of the proximity to Myrtle Town um, Shopping Center uh, that the commission will be holding public input hearings um, in the Board of Supervisors uh, Chamber on the matter of allowing a medical marijuana facility to operate at a shopping center. The shopping center, which is home to a tobacco-slash-cigar-slash-liquor store and a kind of uh, dive bar and a tattoo parlor, is located approximately two blocks 
from the Coast Guard housing area and a Lafayette grade school. Uh, the, the facility is operated by the Humboldt County Collective. Um, but the, the, the story and the issue here is that people are talking about is, ooh, medical marijuana facility two blocks from a school. Well, did you hear who the neighbors were? A dive bar, a liquor store, a tobacco store, and a tattoo parlor. I think that obviously they've like zoned that little area for alternative businesses, you know what I mean? But you don't hear people complaining about the booze. You don't hear people complaining about tobacco, you know what I mean? Like, and I I just, I'm... I, I can't believe that even where I live up here, where we are obviously a pro marijuana um, culture, we still get these like reefer madness things where you can go, where you can go, oh, a pot shop, but say nothing really about the negative effects of of alcohol being there also. And um, yep. uh, you know, we've talked about it for a long time. Arbitrary distances from areas uh, apply to marijuana, but they don't apply to uh, to alcohol. I think that the planning commission is doing the right thing here and obviously putting, oh, and there is a farm, a pharmacy in that same thing too. I believe there's mm-hmm. a pharmaceutical drugs are available. In that so same they can peddle center. dilaudid or like, you know, Vicodin yeah. or yeah. So it's basically a spot now where you can get your tattoos, you can get your pots, you can get your pharmaceutical drugs, you can get your alcohol and your tobacco, and there it is. Um, I guess the real question is, is should any of these businesses be within two blocks of a school? And some people would say no, because, you know, it's based, our kids are too, are, are, are then exposed to this stuff too much. My answer would be, well, your kids are exposed to all this stuff even more so in your own home, on your own television, in your own living room, in your car, everywhere you go. I mean, it's, there's just, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Jamie? I don't know. It's a mixed bag. I mean, I think that to to some degree, we certainly are charged with the responsibility as grown adults, um, responsible adults, um, to kind of try to shield, to at least attempt to shield our children from some of this, some of this type of things that aren't really that we wouldn't promote for them to use at that age. Um, you know, we know that. You've heard the whole phrase, curiosity killed the cat. Well, you know, small children are a lot more curious than most cats I've ever seen in my life. They're, like, inquisitive and as curious as it gets. And once you show them something and say, oh, no, but you can't look at that or don't know about it, that's that's all, that's all it takes. And it's different in this day and age. If you do that or you place a taboo sort of uh, stamp on something that they know exists, but it's taboo. Nope, we're not going to, you can't learn about it. They'll know about this. The first thing they're going to do is run straight to the internet. And believe me, they always have access in some way to get to an internet (laughs) connection. And and that's it. They're going to get their own education on things. So it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, I think it's like you said, they're, they're going to be exposed to these things no matter what. And it's, it's how we just, how we, uh, expose them. I mean, we have to control that. We have to talk to them rationally at their their level and bring them up to a more, you know, as they mature, continue the growth of their their understanding of these issues and these things, you know, like, I don't know. It's kind of like I was talking about my mom earlier. She wants this, like, don't ask, don't. That's how it was with drugs and talking about sex and all that when I was a kid. And I wasn't really, you know, educated on those things because it was like one of those things. If we don't talk about it, it won't exist or it won't happen. And that is 
totally the opposite of the truth, actually. Um, we have to determine how to have good conversations with our children about with our children about all these things: sex, drugs, um, you know, violence, everything. I mean, it, you know, you've got to. Otherwise, they are going to be curious about it, and they will seek the information for themselves, and they will let someone else tell them tell them about it rather than you, and then they won't go to you for information about it because they know you don't want to talk about it. So, so, so hypothetically, you know. your uh, rhythm's going to that grade school. Now he's uh, six, eight, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. He's going to that grade school. You, are you down with that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm totally down with that. It's two blocks away from it. It's not like the dispensary is set up in the um, halls of the of the elementary school. And um, as far as as far as as, as life's going to go, um, there's always going to be pharmaceutical drugs. There's always going to be tattoos. There's always going to be booze. There's always going to be weed. There's always going to be tobacco, and those are going to be parts of life. And the longer and longer I try to like pretend like those things don't exist and and keep him you know far 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 away from them the i think the more harm i'm doing to him i i don't want my son to be drinking at age six and i don't think he will and, and it's kind of weird like around here i've ran into you know a lot of people that have worked in the pod industry for a long time a lot of their children don't even use marijuana right. and um i wonder why that is probably because they've been exposed to it they don't that that's not what they're choosing to Perhaps do with their it life a little, at this point. It might have a little bit to do with good raising. Good, you know. I mean, some people. The the important factors here are that you instill self confidence. You uh, instill a sense of right and wrong and what's going on. A clear mindedness in your children. They're going to understand these things. They're not going to lie to you about things. They're not going to. You know. I mean, we're responsible for help to helping to build and encourage these foundational elements in our child's life and their personalities that that you know allow them to make more educated and intelligent choices and decisions in their life and be be more uh, confident in doing that. You know, and open with their parents. It's yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and, and the, the trick with kids is to help them is to help them find their passions. And if if your seven year old's passion is any of those five things marijuana, alcohol, cigarettes, pharmaceutical drugs or tattoos, well you're probably not doing something right as a parent. You're not right. push you're not helping your kids find their passions in life and the things that they love. I mean, there's no reason that those things should be their passion at age 7, age 10, age 12 even. I mean, there's so much stuff for kids to be doing nowadays, and these activities are not for them. Those are for adults, and those are things that at some point in their life, if they choose to partake in, they should do, they can do, they will be legally allowed to do, but they should do with a reasonable understanding of what the consequences could be to their life. Yeah. And you know? ultimately it's not, it's not to say that anyone that's involved, grownups that are involved in cannabis or any kind of uh, uh, cannabis profession or cannabis uh, lifestyle, or even a casual, you know, normal cannabis user has any, anything in any way to be assumed that they are not good parents. And that's the worst, most unimaginable shame. I can't believe how horrible that is. Um, I can't. I probably can't quantify it in words how horrible it is to have someone that is actually being a good parent is actually doing the things that are necessary to help these these children 
feel confident and feel healthy and whole and functional in their lives. And they, the, the police come in there and just rip their lives to shreds based on cannabis. It's, it's yeah. I, and I agree with that. Um, you know, like, uh, what there's a story a while back about like a seven year old being busted with weed at school or something like that. And, Dang. but I don't know if there was any intent to use it or if he had just taken it from his house or whatever. Um, it's still the whole reefer madness thing. I mean, it's just as bad, you know, I, I would be really upset with myself if, Rhythm was smoking weed when he was seven years old. I'd be really upset. Or drinking alcohol, uh, you know what I mean, or anything like that. I, I, just, I personally don't believe that children that young have any need for drugs or anything like that. I, I personally, I, I mean, it makes a little bit more sense once kids are going through their teen years somewhat that some of them are going to experiment with it. It's obvious reality. I mean, we can't deny that it's reality. It's going to happen. But I even think that really and truly most people can you know can stay away from from drugs and alcohol until they're you know of legal age basically um i think that's why we've set that there for them because right. we kind of think in in general that hopefully by the time you've reached this age you're a little bit more self-aware a little bit more well-rounded you've experienced a little bit more you're not still growing and coming of age and um you know but i agree uh Definitely putting the parents down, which I did do just a little while ago, probably isn't always right. But there will be times when it is right. There are times when it's right. I mean, you know, if if, if you're not talking with your kids, if you're not helping your kids pursue their passions, then, I mean, I don't know. As a parent, I feel like you're not doing your job. Um, and that's just that's, – that's my opinion. But, um, you know – yeah, it's a it is a mixed bag, um, and so is the November ballot initiative in California, which is known as the Regulate, Control, and Tax Cannabis Act of 2010. Um, if you don't know about it, what it is in California in November's general election, we will be uh, voting to legalize cannabis up to uh, one ounce possession per person. Um, there currently are no tax guidelines for it other than that once it's passed, the um, state legislature will be allowed to make tax guidelines and then local um, local municipalities will be able to uh, further make tax guidelines. Also, um, state and municip municipal governments will be allowed to regulate the production and the sales of it. Um, so it's going to have, it's going to be, there'll be state guidelines and there'll be guidelines within communities. So that's what's going on there. Um, we're voting on this in November. We've had uh, discussions about it. Um, it seems to be a seems to be five times as open of a law as they have in the Netherlands. We've praised the Netherlands for years about their cannabis laws. Um, I still talk. Uh, I would say four out of five people in Humboldt County are going to vote against this. And um, most of them try to have a rationalization saying, oh, it doesn't go far enough. It, you know, it's not, it's not open enough or this or that. Um, but really the sentiment I hear in their voices is I'm scared. I don't want to, I don't want to have to compete with big business. I don't want to, um, have to be more organized. I don't want to have to pay taxes, uh, you know, these sort of things. 
And um, I hear those sort of things coming out of their their rationale. But just yesterday, I was talking with a very close friend, and he, I said, he said, "Are you going to vote for it?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Fuck you," you know. And then he and I told him, I, and I said, "Well, why aren't you?" He said, "Because, man, I've been sweating and working hard for years, and I am." He's one of the most successful, one of the most successful growers I've ever known. Dude rips. P over two P's per light does great, um, and he's like you know because I he's, I've been working so hard for so long and this has made it to where I can actually enjoy some time with my family. I still work my ass off, but I'd really like a little bit more time. That's honest. I appreciate it because I do have a, a empathy for for self interest. I understand. I do believe it'll make it much more competitive, and I do believe it'll make it people have to be more organized and and more corporate to some degree. Uh, and I, I understand that. And I understand that, um, that people want to protect their own interests. I just think it's going to be, I, I still think the hypocrisy is going to show when you look at the numbers throughout California and yes, yeah, some conservative counties will vote it down, but it'll still be a slim margin. And yet then you'll have the Emerald Triangle with a solid 75% voting against it. The biggest no in the state. Talking about self-interest. I have an empathy for it. It's definitely going to change the economy. Just wanted to put a note towards that. I'm still torn on it, but uh, hey. As is the state. Uh, yep. The Oakland Tribune just reported recently, I believe it was May 19th issue, that uh, the Public Policy Institute of California did a survey of about, I think, two, a little over 2,000 adults um, with a two percentage point margin of error showed 49% opposed legalization while 48% support it. So it's like neck and neck. Yep. It's yeah. all going to come down to how much money is spent by out-of-state out of state interests, which is probably going to be a lot at the very end and slam ads. Some of the best reefer madness stuff of our century is going to come out on the television. And, uh, and I say best as in worst, but it's going to be all over our TVs here in California. Um, and it's probably going to be mostly funded from out of state organizations. Um, but yeah, it's, we're definitely torn. It's going to be close. It's going to be up in the air. Like I said before, I think it would have been a better idea to do this in a presidential election year, which would have been two years from now, which would have given all these people more time. And, um, but, uh, Hey, it's here, it's now, it's hot, it's fresh, and it is definitely dividing the general the general citizens of the state, and it is also dividing the people that work in the industry. Yeah. Hey, guys, that's our show for the day. That, yeah. was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I don't know how many shows we've done, but we're really trying to, to find you and help you uh -huh. find us. We do have a website. It is uh, www.cannabisagenda.com. You can call and leave comments at 707-654-CAN-C-A-N-N. We're all on Twitter. Cogs is on Twitter, Jay Casanova, and Pot Green. Also, the show at Cannabis Agenda is on Twitter. Uh, our Facebook page is just launched. It will be up and running and functional soon. Our website will have – you will be able to listen to our shows on our website, and we will be available on iTunes soon. So please – if you found us, let us know that you found us. Let us know Absolutely. that you're listening. Let Speak us know up. what you're thinking. This yep. is all about you. It's not about us. Please mm -hmm. contact us. Let us know what's the deal. Right Until next time, friends, peace and pot. All right. Much love. Take care.
You've been listening to The Cannabis Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast for an hour every Monday covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market-related information. You can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com.